For the next seven Sundays, our sermon series will focus on the role of the church and our place in it. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought about a major culture shift and changes to life practices, including church. Yet we think church has something significant to offer as people respond to the way things have changed. In the same way that the reality of Jesus' resurrection gave start to a newly created order and a new week, sometimes referred to as the eighth day, we've chosen to call this series Church 8.0. The framework for our sermons is a new vision statement session formulated for our church. It goes like this, a place to belong, believe, and love like Jesus. This statement is intended to be both invitational and challenging. Invitational to people outside our faith community, but perhaps looking in with curiosity and interest. Challenging for us as a congregation to live up to these words so that they ring true. Our sermons will center on a specific passage of scripture that emphasizes a dimension of this vision and we will draw out its implications for us as a community of faith. Today, I will focus on the importance of the church as a place to belong. Before we hear our scripture read, I would like to qualify what we mean by place. We use the word church to refer to our congregation of people, but we also use it to reference the building that stands at 1550 Pacific Avenue here in Santa Rosa. Indeed, church is a physical place where we gather to worship, learn to be disciples, share life together, and, in, and engage in Christ's mission to the world. But by place, we also mean the space where we are at home with one another, where we can experience wholeness and goodness, a place where we, where we experience a sense of belonging. A parent told me how she overheard her teenage son walking a visitor friend to the youth room say, this place is like a second home to me. These people know me and I feel loved when I am here. That same sentiment seems to be Paul's objective in writing to people who gathered as a church in Ephesus. In chapter two of his letter, he addresses those in the community who came from Gentile backgrounds. Knowing the church was struggling with tensions between Jews and Gentiles, Paul uses the image of the temple as a metaphor for how God is building a new place, a new home for God to be with people. Let's hear Paul's words describing how those who were once outsiders to God's love and promise now belong. As Steve Frary reads for us Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, from the Common English Bible. The scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, reading from the Common English Bible. So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who are physically circumcised. At that time, you were without Christ, you were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, 
thanks to Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of two groups, making peace. He reconciled them, both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now that you are no longer strangers and aliens, rather you are fellow citizens with God's people and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Almighty God. The immediate followers of Jesus were nearly all Jewish, but as the gospel spread and the church grew, its composition changed. Outside of Palestinian soil, Gentiles began to respond in faith and take their place in the church. Paul spent a good amount of his time addressing issues related to this new mix of Jews and Gentiles gathered together as one body. In this passage, he speaks to those who were, quote, Gentiles by birth or by physical descent, as was read in the Common English Bible. In doing so, Paul hints at what follows, that such lines of demarcation and distinction have now changed. At one time, when it came to knowing God and being named among God's people, there just weren't enough uniforms to go around. At that time, non-Jews, referred to as Gentiles, were, in Paul's words, separate, excluded, alienated, without hope, without God, far away, without access. A Gentile in Jerusalem could approach God's temple, but only so far. A one and a half meter, almost five foot stone barrier separated them from two inner courts and the temple itself. And on this barrier were warning signs, which read, no stranger is to enter beyond this enclosure. Whoever is caught will, will be responsible for his ensuing death. Since Paul later refers to the church as God's new temple building, he likely had this very barrier in mind when he spoke of the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. But he also knew the divide was more than a physical barrier. The sense of mutual disrespect and contempt ran deep between these two groups. Gentiles said that Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. And Jews considered it unlawful to help a Gentile mother in labor for that would only serve to bring yet another Gentile into the world. They also said God only, 
God loves only Israel of all the nations God made. If a Jew married a Gentile, he or she would be considered dead to their family. Kent recently read a book by John Dominic Crossan and Jonathan L. Reed in search of Paul. He shared with me this observation made by its authors. Quote, pagans labeled Jews with three negative terms, calling them superstitious, which referred to their dietary restrictions, especially abstaining from pork, which kept them from participating in civic religious feasts, and then also their observance of Sabbath, which precluded them from military service. They also referred to them as atheistic, referring to their rejection of the Greek and Roman pantheon of deities, and as misanthropic, that is, a hatred of humanity, which probably referred to their practice of circumcision compared to the rest of humanity that remained uncircumcised. Paul says the tradition of Jewish separatism accentuated the gulf between Gentiles and those entrusted with the law. But the impasse was more than an ethnic distinction. It was also a spiritual divide. According to Paul, the ultimate separation was a result of sin. It is the great barrier between God and us and between you and me. But the good news is now in Christ that has changed. He has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In his biography of the Apostle Paul, scholar N.T. Wright speaks about the uniqueness of the early church within the Roman Empire. It was a, quote, genuine effort at a new kind of trans-ethnic community for which, Wright says, there was really no analogy in the ancient world. In Christ, God has made something new of the two, not a union or a mixture, not a case of Greeks conquering Jews, nor the Jews converting the Greeks to their faith and way of life, but an entirely new creation that Christ has effected through union with himself. And that is where I would like to begin drawing out some implications for what it means for us to be God's people united in Christ as a church. The first thing I would say is that our identity is first and foremost in Christ, not our personal differences. Whenever we encounter someone we don't know, it is human nature to ask about that person's identity, to find some way of relating to them. If we see that person as different from ourselves, then we're liable to ask where they are from or what is their ethnicity, which may also lead us to make assumptions, to compartmentalize or stereotype that person before we get to know who they are or before we're even open to learn what they choose to tell us. At a conference of pastors, an expert on human sexuality was asked by one of the participants, how should I relate to someone whose appearance I can't tell whether that person is male or female? Without hesitation, the speaker answered, relate to the person as he, she, or they present themselves to you. 
Then she respectfully pointed out that our sense of welcome and receptivity to someone we meet for the first time is far more important than our own comfort or need to identify that person in some way. To be a place of belonging, we need to emphasize our common life results from our identity with Christ. We are united by means of the cross. We remain diverse parts existing together in peace as one body. Our unity as a community is not a matter of sameness or uniformity, but a result of our common experience of being united through our relationship with Jesus. The second observation I would like to make is that true belonging is something we carry in our hearts. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston who has written and lectured about her research related to shame, vulnerability, and leadership. She has authored six books that center on themes of being our true selves, having courage to be vulnerable, about love and belonging. Her last book, Braving the Wilderness, is about the human quest for true belonging. Brown says, the need for belonging is universal, but our sense of belonging doesn't come from outside of us. It comes from within us. Brown says, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, be loved, and belong. And when those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. Belonging starts with self-acceptance. Brown says, your level of belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance because believing that you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. True belonging doesn't require that we change who we are. It requires that we be who we are. It's not something we negotiate or accomplish with others. It's a personal commitment that we carry in our hearts. So for our church to create a sense of belonging, we're not trying to make it be a familiar place or even necessarily a welcoming place. It's more about creating space for people to be their true selves. And it requires a mutual responsibility of the person who makes a move to venture here, but also for our community to learn to be gracious, loving, and accepting of someone who has the courage to show up with authenticity. The third observation I would make is that there is a difference between belonging and fitting in. I read a blog written by Jen Pavich, which tells her story of discovering what it means to belong. She writes, from an early age through much of my adulthood, I felt like an outsider. I had always been the odd one in every herd I had ever run with. I've always had aspects of my life that made me feel different, not shunned or unincluded necessarily, just different from the people I was with, other. 
the stories I told myself about why that separate separateness existed varied depending on the situation involved. Everything from age, economic factors, gender, marital status, and more. There might have been some truth to those stories, but they weren't the whole truth. What I was doing all those years was fitting in rather than belonging. This requires us to assimilate and hide pieces of ourselves in order to please other people. She writes, I wasn't even aware that I was doing it a lot of the time, but striving to people please and morphing myself into whatever seemed to fit in best was hardwired in me from my childhood. Then Pavich learned from Brown's book, Daring Greatly, that there is a difference between choosing to fit in and wanting to belong. Brene Brown says, fitting in is becoming who we think we need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging is being your authentic self and knowing that you belong no matter what. Belonging is being accepted for your true self. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. I get to be me if I belong. I have to be like you to fit in. Pavich goes on to describe how she used to hide parts of herself, which allowed her to fit in, but that left her feeling alone, even when she was with people she cared about. She said, what I know now is that belonging is the opposite of that. It's allowing myself to be vulnerable and let people see me for who I really am. This doesn't necessarily mean we have to wear our deepest, darkest secrets on our sleeves for everyone to see. It just means that to truly feel our sense of belonging, we need to fully be ourselves and to let others be and to let ourselves be seen that way. Embracing this type of vulnerability takes practice. I started being more vulnerable with baby steps, first trying to be more honest about how I felt with those closest to me. For us to be the kind of church that someone like Pavich might consider, we need to not ask or imply that people fit in, but allow people to belong with a sense of authenticity and diversity. In college, some friends of mine and I used to make fun of our psychology professor for something he repeatedly said with a creaky voice. Love tolerates the ambiguities. Love tolerates life, life's ambiguities. What, mi what might it look like if we were the kind of church that loves people the way Jesus does? to provide a sense of belonging so that someone does not feel like they have to fit in, to allow someone enough time to belong before they fully understand or formulate all that they believe. From Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, we learn that to affirm Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord is to affirm the end of hostility and violence, the end of separation and segregation, the end of enmity and contempt. To proclaim Christ is our peace is to stand for life, for goodness, and for justice. To praise Christ 
is to renounce hostility, violence, and hatred. And to serve Christ is to work for reconciliation. So may we work together to offer the kind of space where people choose to belong. Amen.